Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about heaven, and I admitted that I don't preach about heaven a lot, and I regret that. I'm, I'm coming to realize that is important to talk about. And one of the things that we, we talked about, and you know this, that heaven is a consolation. It's an encouragement to those of us who are still alive. And that is, we know that those who have died belonging to Jesus Christ are also still alive, and that they are with God. That's what we talked about. So heaven is a consolation, our eternity. But what we also know is that heaven is a motivation. It motivates us here in this life, and that's what I want to dig into today. In some ways, this is something that's so basic that... um, We often don't talk about it, but man, that's a mistake. Uh, We got to talk about the fundamentals, and I hope that this will encourage you as we dig in here. So we're returning to this idea of heaven and eternity, and I'm going to try to show you how it motivates us in this life. So let's look. This is a Mark 10, starting in verse 17, a story that you'll know. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up and knelt before him. We know from Matthew and Luke's version that he's a young man and that he's a ruler. He's a powerful young man. All right. This young man uh, ran up, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain or inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. We could talk about that sometime. But you know the commandments. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. Those are ten commandments, some of them. Teacher, he responded, Well, I've kept all these things since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. One of the most tender passages in Scripture right there. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him, and he said, You're lacking one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor. We'll talk about the poor in a few weeks. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But the man was dismayed at that statement. He went away saddened because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. And his words startled the disciples, because in that culture, those who were wealthy were believed to be blessed by God. It should be easiest for them. His words startled the disciples, so Jesus told them again, children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It is easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. That's what we usually focus on. What I think is most important is the very next verse. This is what he says. Jesus looked at them carefully, the same way he looked at that young man, and said, when they asked, who can be saved? Sorry, they were shocked even more, and they said to each other, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it's impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible for God. Peter said to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, I assure you, anyone who has left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or farms, your source of income, because of me and because of the good news, will receive a hundred times more as much now in this life, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms with harassment, and in the coming age, eternal life. 
But many who are first will be last. Many who are last will be first. I actually really like this guy. He's a young guy, and um, what I like about him is that he is asking an important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You might say There's, there may not be a more important question than this one. And the reason I like this young guy who's asking that question is because as a former young guy, I'll admit that I didn't ask that question a lot. I mean, I remember back in college, you know, played Madden football late into the night and just want to shove in writing papers, that we weren't sitting around being like, hey, what do you think we got to do to inherit eternal life? We weren't asking those, those questions very often. If you think about that, that's kind of a, a privilege, isn't it? It's kind of the privilege of youth. But you can be distracted from the most important questions in life because you think they're irrelevant to you right now. If you die, it's going to be a long time from now. Why do you need to think about that? I had to go to the, the blood doctor a few weeks ago to run some tests. I'm all, I'm all fine. I know you were worried. And, um, but because he's a blood doctor, he also treats cancers of the blood. And so as I went into the back room, there were two rows of people sitting looking at each other who were hooked up to IVs, who I presume were getting treatment for blood cancers. And uh, most of them were older, much older than me. And so the lab tech's room was right by this row of people hooked up to IVs, so I slipped into her room and sat down so she could begin to take some blood. But the door was open and I could hear the conversations outside. And these two women right outside the door Looked up to those IVs. One of them said to the other, she said, do you ever think about heaven? I find myself thinking about heaven all the time, just wondering what it's going to be like. And the other woman said, I didn't used to think about heaven, but sister, I think about it all the time now. All the time. And I thought about that. You know, it's much harder to be distracted from that big question about your future, about eternal life when you're hooked up to an IV. But then you know what happened? The lab tech who is drawing my blood, she's a young woman about my age. She's overhearing the same conversation right outside her door. And you know what she said to me? She said, I wish they'd stop talking about that stuff. And because a lot of us would prefer to stay distracted from what's probably the most important question in your life, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But not this young guy. And that's why I like him. And I'll tell you what, do you see what, what Jesus does when he's talking to this young man? What we're told that Jesus looks at him carefully and loves him. Now here's somebody who is wrestling with the tension between the decisions I make in this life, the things I do in this life, in my eternal future, Jesus looks at this young guy who's wrestling with that tension, and he looks at him with care and love. And so what that means is that what he says next, which is one of you know, the most significant things, one of the things that's left more of a mark on the history of the church over the last thousands of years, more than many other things that are said in Scripture. Okay, one of the thing that he says to this young man, he says, why? Because he loves him. Let me, let me try and make sense with you about what we're, what we're about to encounter and what he says to him. Imagine 
that we found out an asteroid was plummeting towards Earth and going to make contact on Wednesday of this week. And it's going to wipe out everything. Okay. I grew up in the era of like Armageddon and Deep Impact. Y'all remember that in the 90s, so I think about this all the time. So an asteroid's plummeting towards Earth. It's going to hit on Wednesday. You know what would be really hard to do on Tuesday? To get your kids to do their homework. Right? I mean, what kid is going to want to do their math homework on Tuesday when it's all going to end on Wednesday? You know, and for the record, they've totally changed how kids do math. It's all wrong. doesn't make any sense. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. But think about this. Our whole education system is based on the implicit belief that every child has a future. Right? So when I'm having these conversations with my son about his homework in second grade, you know, here's essentially the conversation. We don't go through this every time, but here's what I'm thinking. Son, if you don't do this math homework, you're not going to pass second grade. If you don't pass second grade, you're going to have a hard time graduating. If you don't graduate, you're going to have a hard time getting into college or finding a good job. If you don't have a good job, your quality of life is going to be diminished. Okay? So the whole education system right, is based on what reality? The fact that we know those kids have a future. Right? And this, this kind of, this is just a side note, but this, I mean, this is a reminder of why programs like Arise to Read, where we go to a school like LaRose or Macon Hall, where there are kids who don't believe they have a future. And we pour into them, pour into their educations. Why? Because we want them to know that what they do matters for their future. So why does a parent say that to their kid? Well, one, they say it because they've lived in their kid's future. They've lived in their child's future, and they know how important this is, so they know their kid has a future, but the second reason they say it is why? Because they love their kid. They love their kid. I think that's what's going on here. Jesus loves this man. And so this is what he says to him. You are lacking one thing. Go sell what you own and give that money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement, and he went away saddened because he had many possessions. What's, what is Jesus not saying here? Jesus is not saying you can purchase, buy, or earn your way into eternal life. That would be one of the grossest violations of what Jesus teaches what Scripture teaches, what we believe as faithful people, and in fact, what Jesus addresses later, because you'll remember when we come back to this, the disciples ask if a rich man can't figure it out, how to, what hope do any of us have of being saved? And he says, you're right, you have no hope. For you, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God's the one who makes our salvation possible. You can't earn, you can't buy your way into heaven. So he's not saying that you can purchase eternal life and you should go sell and give away everything so that you can buy your seat at this eternal table. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, because you have an eternal future, where you will be eternally satisfied, you can afford to sacrifice in the present. Because of this truth, because 
in your future, I'm going to provide you a hundred times what you invest in the kingdom in this life. Because there's this great inheritance waiting on you because you're going to be eternally satisfied. You can sacrifice now. This is one of the, if not, not the main difference, it's one of the most significant differences between Christianity and other world religions. Okay? It's not self-denial for self-denial's sake. It's self-denial because I'm going to be satisfied forever. So I can deny myself and sacrifice now because I am going to be more than satisfied. I mean, think about this. Go back to the homework analogy. If we don't have a future, if this asteroid's plummeting down, going to blow everything up, and there's no life after this life, then what should you do? You should eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. You should not do anything that sacrifices one bit of your security in this life. You should seek to be as secure, as peaceful, as happy, as content as you can possibly be if this life is all there is. But if there is another life, if there's this other life where I am guaranteed that I'm going to be more than satisfied, where, like Jesus says, anything you put in, I'm going to give you a hundred times back what you put in. If that other life is true, then the math is pretty simple. Sacrifice is worth it. There's a return. right? It's more than worth it. And so whenever I feel this tension in my life between my present security and sacrificing any of that present security and my eternal satisfaction, what makes Christians different than everybody else, is we lean towards our eternal satisfaction and we sacrifice in the present. Okay. <clears throat> so, for this young guy, what Jesus calls him to sacrifice is what? His money, his stuff. Is money really that bad? You know, Jesus tells us that money can become our master. You may remember this earlier in Mark. He says, others are like the seed that's scattered among thorny plants. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of this life and the false appeal of wealth and the desire for more things break in and choke the word and it bears no fruit. So is money all bad? No, but we might say money's risky. Because like for this young man, it is this source of security. And it insulates him much like youth does from the security that God wants to provide for him, from the ways that God wants to satisfy him. So is money all bad? No, but it's, but it's risky. I'll tell you what. You know, I'm reading this book right now. It's called Gospel Patrons. And it tells the story about, well, it tells multiple stories. What it basically does is it looks back over the history of the church at every major revival that has happened in the history of the church. So some breakthrough for the kingdom's sake over the thousands of years of history of the church. But what he attempts to do in the story is he goes and he finds these characters who you're familiar with, like Martin Luther or Billy Graham and these characters we all know from history, these preachers or reformers, and it tries to look behind those folks and to find out who was paying their bills 
because they had some bills to pay. Let me tell you one story. The, the Bible you have in your hand right now, which is probably on a device, and you're probably looking at ESPN or something, but the Bible you have, which is in English, you've got this guy William Tyndale to thank for that. It's the 16th century. At the time, the Bible was only in Latin, so if you spoke English, you didn't have a shot at reading it, even if you could get your hands on it. So Tyndale has this vision of translating the Bible into English. Martin Luther does something similar with German. And uh, the problem is two things. One is that it would be illegal to do it, and so he might get burned at the stake, which is a little problem. And then the second problem is that he's got bills. And he can't afford to just stop everything he's doing and translate for years. And so this rich merchant, this guy named Henry Monmouth, hears about Tyndale, has a conversation with him. Tyndale shares this dream with him, and he says, here, I'll tell you what, why don't you come live in my palace? I'll pay all your bills. I'll pay for all your Bibles. And Tyndale's like, why would you do that? He says, well, I can make this sacrifice now, eternally, I'm going to have more than enough. You know, I think about that, and I think about Highland, and as I read through this passage, it talks about the danger, the way that money can kind of become this line in the sand for us, this thing that we stay on this side, and it keeps us secure, and so we, we don't have to kind of reach for the security Jesus provides or the satisfaction that's on offer for us eternally because our money kind of buttresses us from that. Well, as I think about that, I don't really feel like that's a, at least the main issue for this church because I'll tell you what, I've never seen a church that's as generous as the Highland Church. I mean, we, we blow past our life-giving special contributions every time, allowing us to do things like plan a brand new church. That's only been possible because you gave so much. Church, we didn't just meet our budget, we passed our budget last year. Not, I'm not patting me on the back, I mean, I'm a pretty small part in that, I'll be honest with you. I'm not patting myself on the back. It's like, there's not a lot of churches meeting budget right now in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know of a Sunday school class here that hasn't taken up a collection at some point for somebody in their class who is struggling and provided what they need. This is one of the most outrageously generous churches I have ever seen in my whole life. We had this new member luncheon the other day. New folks come to Highland want to be part of this church. And one of the things I shared at that gathering was there's something in the water at Highland. So when you become a member, we're not going to ask for your tax return and expect 10%. But you're probably going to find yourself giving more than you ever thought you would. This is, just, this is an outrageously generous group of people. Okay, well, then you got to like dig down and you say, well, why is that? Why are these people so incredibly generous? Well, this is it. We can sacrifice right now because we believe we are going to be eternally satisfied. In eternity, because we have a future where God is going to provide more than we need, I can go without right now. If that future is not true, then I better not sacrifice right now. But because I believe it is, yeah, I'll give. I'll tell you, this doesn't make a lot of sense to the world. I was having a conversation. Some of you have maybe had this conversation with my financial planner the other day, who's great. He's really helping us a lot. You know, the first question he asked me when I submitted all our stuff to him, all of our bills, everything we do, everything we spend money on, the first question was, Eric, how important to you is weekly giving? Because if we could cut that, I said, I won't tell him if you don't. 
No, I'm kidding. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's really important to me because I've got to get up there and tell these people it's important. I've got to live it out, right? Well, why am I living it out? Why are we willing to go without that in the gentry house? Because we know God's going to provide more than we need eternally. I mean, let me think about it like this. Imagine you knew that you had a big inheritance waiting on you. Big inheritance, millions of dollars, more than you can ever spend. You've got this big inheritance waiting on you, and you're going to get it in just a couple years. But you don't have a lot right now. I mean, money's tight right now. Well, somebody comes to you, and they need some help. Or your church comes to you, and your church needs some help. Somebody on the street you just come across who, who needs some help. Well, because you know you have that future and that future is secure, what are you more apt to do right now? Sacrifice. Right? Like, I can sacrifice right now because I know I'm, I'm going to be okay in the future. I'm going to be more than okay. Okay, well, like, again, this is one of the most fundamental things about Christian faith, and we don't talk about it enough, but the Christian faith is you have an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade, right, kept in heaven for you. And so I can sacrifice right now because I'm going to be satisfied in God's future for me. You know, for some of us, I do think it's money. Money's kind of that thing, that, that, again, that line in the sand that we're not willing to cross. But for others of us, it's something else. Something else that kind of gives us our security in this life. Um, and I think what happens when we come to Jesus and we're asking our questions, whatever those questions are, we come to Jesus asking the question that's important to us. And I think the way that Jesus responds to us as much like he responds to this guy. What he basically does is he holds up a mirror. And when we come to Jesus, he reflects back to us ourselves. And we see as we're looking at ourselves that there is this line in front of us, this thing that we're not willing to sacrifice, this, this line we're not willing to cross in our journey to come and follow Jesus. It's just like, that's just a step too far, we think. That's just a step too far. I feel like every time we come to Jesus, no matter what the question is, all Jesus does is hold up that mirror and just say, why don't you come across? You come out here where it's just a little riskier, where things are a little less secure for you. you just come across, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Here, I think, is the most important line in this whole passage. The disciples ask, well, if this is true, if this rich guy is going to struggle to come across that line, well, how is salvation possible for any of us? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Right? He's not buying his salvation. That's not what this is about. He's not earning his salvation. In fact, that's not possible for any of you. What, what does he say? It's impossible with human beings. He's talking about salvation, that eternal satisfaction. That is impossible with you, but not with God. All things are possible for God. So here's the takeaway today. The takeaway is not go sell, give everything you have or come cross this line and then Jesus will love you. We're told Jesus loves the man who never crosses the line. And the message is not go sell, give, come across this line and earn your salvation. Jesus says you can't earn it. That's impossible for you. It's only possible 
because of God, you might as well give up that thought. But here is the message. Eternally, in your future, the future that you have, you are going to be more than satisfied. And because of that, what's a little sacrifice? Right? Let me pray over you as we leave this place. God, I thank you for your people gathered in this room. I'm thankful that their hearts are uh, hearts given to sacrifice. Hearts that are eager to give for the sake of your kingdom. God, I'm thankful to be a part of a church where outrageous generosity is just, well, it's in the water. And God, I pray that we would never lose that confidence, that hope, and a future where we are eternally taken care of, eternally satisfied. God, I pray that that truth would become real to us in the present. So that each day as we're called across some line for your sake, that we'll be willing to step across and make that sacrifice because we know that you satisfy us, God. And we thank you for that. I pray in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior.